Welcome to Maidens of Metal and Mayhem, a podcast about all things metal, horror, with a dash of mayhem. So this week we thought it would be interesting to talk about glam and hair metal, since that tends to be kind of a um, hot topic with a lot of metalheads. So we thought this would be a really interesting topic to kind of kick off the show with. So Megan, how do you feel about the genre of hair metal? I personally love it uh, because I grew up with it. Age of MTV, and I I could tell you. I have a lot of um, knowledge of the genre. You know, I can make a list of 50 plus bands that I enjoyed from the era. I love it. You know, it was it was a fun it was a fun time growing up as a kid in the 80s. Uh, there wasn't a, a whole lot of worries that kids had back then. And they were just listening to this really fun, eccentric music. What What is your opinion? So I'm not the biggest fan of like hair and glam personally. Um, I'm definitely a child of the mid 90s. So kind of grew up in the more like grunge scene. And for me, like when I think of glam metal and like glam bands and hair bands, I just kind of think of like being out and about with like my parents and then like a, a rogue Twisted Sister song comes on and my dad just starts rocking out in public. So for me, my experience has definitely been more of like, it's like dad rock. So I'm not the biggest fan. I mean, I've definitely know a lot of like the big hits from different like hair and glam bands just because you can't avoid them on the radio most of the time. But I definitely am not a huge fan, but I definitely can also see how, you know, it was important for like the metal scene for it to have happened. It was, especially at the time. I mean, it hair metal and glam metal it ruled the airwaves it ruled mtv you know if you were watching mtv it was pretty much every music video especially earlier in the 80s um it was more prominent it was you know it was a time of especially the 80s it was a time of decadence it was a time of sweeping everything under the rug uh you know there's no problems we're just having a good time. Let's all wear neon. Let's wear spandex. And the attraction for me is not only the music, because I mean, musically, these bands are these bands are good. I mean, there are some bands that are better than others, but they were good looking guys, except for a few bands like the Scorpions. They um, were not the most attractive, but probably one of the most talented of the bands. But you had like Sebastian Bach, who was just unbelievably gorgeous. And also for me, the androgyny of it all was sexy too, because these guys were trying to look like women. And uh, some of them really did look like women. And... <laughs> And they were they were just gorgeous. They were gorgeous on stage. And they they definitely had a huge following 
with females because they were good looking and because they were, you know, they were putting out what they call panty ringers. (laughs) Yes. Panty ringers. Is that a technical term? Yes, it is. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's basically ballads that women just would gush over and want to throw themselves at the band. They all had ballads because that's what, I think that's what really, you know, uh, solidified their career. They had a good ballad. You know, if you ever get a chance, if if you have not seen Watch the Dirt, that is uh, based on the Motley Crue story at the time they were touring with Ozzy Osbourne. And just the shenanigans that they did. And I mean, and also read the book it's it's kind of horrifying some of the things that these guys did i'm surprised that they survived because of the drugs and just the excessness of the sex the drugs the rock and roll i think now looking back it's definitely a lot of lessons to be learned not only from an all-male rock band but also females, because at the time there really wasn't a whole lot of female hair metal bands. There were two that were really popular, and that was Vixen and Lita Ford. But then uh, I have a whole bunch of underground that probably never saw MTV. It was a male-dominated show. Like, there was, there's no women. The only women there were was women throwing themselves at them because they were singing a ballad. Yeah, and I think part of the appeal for more women being interested in like the glam scene was, and I think a lot of people at the time really said it, was it was more like pop metal because they had the more, um, I would say, like pop kind of tones and singers types with the slightly more aggressive, heavy kind of metal um, like instrumentals. And that's what really brought the women in because it's like it's a more digestible, consumer friendly version of metal. You know, it's a lot more approachable than like thrash at the time, which is definitely a lot more, um, you know, like male oriented, a lot heavier, a lot more aggressive. So having glam, I feel like that brought a lot more women over to the general metal scene because it was so more so much more like consumer friendly. It was appealing. Because you had these really gorgeous guys on stage and they came out with some really good ballads and, you know, women like that, you know. And um, again, for me, it was it, it was also the androgyny. I, I love androgynous people. I do tend to find them very attractive. So that was that was also the start of liking androgynous people. And. Like I said, Sebastian Bach was probably, in my personal opinion, the hottest and best singer out of them all. He did have some pipes and he could sing. So that, I mean, definitely Skid Row, Sebastian Bach was my, probably my favorite of the, of the genre. But unfortunately, they did die out when grunge came in. People did want um, some something more meaningful. Um, I think people were tired of the excess and 
you know, not, not caring so much about what was really going on in the world. So, um, they did, they grunge just smushed them. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the reason that grunge kind of overtook, you know, glam and hair metal too, is the fact that grunge kind of comes from a more like raw emotional state where it's a lot more toned down performance wise. Even I would say like sound wise, it's a lot more toned down. You know, you don't have people wearing outrageous like outfits and having their hair teased and sprayed up and a ton of makeup. It's a bunch of guys wearing like flannel shirts and baggy pants just kind of rocking out on stage. And I think people wanted kind of more of that like raw emotion that kind of came from grunge. Whereas with glam, some of the bands, I think by like the late 80s, a lot of people were feeling where they were kind of disingenuous because there was just so many glam bands like it was so oversaturated that it gets to the point where it's hard to differentiate between all of them because you know they all have the same stylist they all have kind of similar you know chord progressions and overall sounds and looks and then people kind of wanted something different and to move in a different direction yeah and that's exactly it's exactly what happened there were a few bands that did survive I would say Bon Jovi, they really had to kind of reinvent themselves, Def Leppard, Aerosmith, but Aerosmith was always reinventing themselves from the 70s on. They, I mean, they, all the way up until the 2000s, they were reinventing themselves for people to listen to them. Let's see, who else? Who else? Oh, Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses was right, they were like, going right along with the grunge bands. They were doing really, really well until, of course, they broke up. But I will say, did Guns N' Roses release any new music in the 90s, or was it just, like, releasing stuff during, like, peak glam and hair metal? No, they released a lot in the 90s. I would say a a good portion of their albums were in the 90s. They became, like, if you listen to, like, say a song like Welcome to the Jungle, which was done in the 80s, and then you listen to November Rain, you can see that there is a difference in the styles. The music was more, had more meaning to it. Um, and there was definitely um, more interesting layers. Like for example, no- November Rain had an instrumental background and Axel Rose played the piano uh, quite beautifully in that, in that song. So they evolved into making more meaningful uh, music in the 90s. Same with Aerosmith. Um, Def Leppard, not so much, but they really made some good mute. They made some good songs. Uh, Van Halen, or what I call Van Hagar <laughs> in the 90s, they had some hits, but there were very few bands that survived the grunge era. There were a couple bands in the 80s, though, that were more than just glam. They they were speaking about things that were important. Definitely a shout out to the Scorpions. They made a song called Wind of Change that was about the fall of the Berlin Wall. White Lion, they were making some meaningful songs. They have a song called When the Children Cry. Queensryche, they were making some meaningful music and they also kind of tipped a little bit into the 90s too with their hit uh, Silent Lucidity, which is probably my favorite song of all time. 
So, so there were um, there were bands that were on the more serious side in the eighties. They may not, they weren't probably as popular, but they were there, and they're probably one of my favorites. I I love Queen Strike. I love the Scorpions. I think they're really really amazing bands. Although I think Queen Strike, uh, uh, though considered hair metal, is I consider also progressive. If you ever get a chance, listen to them. They're fantastic. But more more or less, most of the bands were sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Let's have a good time. Let's destroy the hotel rooms. I know that there was a, there's a story where one of the Motley Crue band members peed outside and Ozzy Osbourne licked it up. Who knows if that was a real story or one of the more fabricated ones in the dirt? I don't know. I, you know, honestly. It's hard to tell. I believe every single story that I saw in the dirt because they were they were crazy. Motley Crue. I will tell you at least the movie. I can't speak on the book, but mm-hmm. actually, I think both of them. Um, if they're not a hundred percent, every single story is true. Some of them were more exaggerated than what happened. Again, for like entertainment purposes. Yeah. So it's not a hundred percent exactly how things happened. I would say it's definitely a kernel of truth, I would say, in most of them, but they're not 100%. This is exactly what happened, and it's fully documented. It's not like a biography. I could I could believe that. I would say, though, that not knowing that, I would believe every single story because they were crazy. They were known to be one of the craziest bands uh, to tour, and they they messed a lot of shit up. Motley Crue did. I do have tickets to go see them. I've had them since 2019. It's Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett, which I don't understand the Joan Jett part because I consider her more like punk. Yeah, but I would say she she was, I think, very popular in the 80s too. So I think it was just kind of like that 80s nostalgia ticket. I think I would have picked Lita Ford. Yeah, maybe, maybe Lita was not available. Well, Lita and Joan do have a continuous feud. Um, They were both part of the Runaways. I am on the side of Lita. Okay. But I know a lot of people are on Joan's side, but I like Lita. I think she's the better musician. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that the big appeal for people that still listen to glam and hair these days is definitely the nostalgia factor. Um, I think that's the biggest reason why a lot of these bands either have continued to tour or have come back to touring after taking like a couple of years hiatus or like a decade hiatus. And it's interesting because um, I feel like some of these bands genuinely enjoy the music and then I feel like there are some that realize that if they continue playing the hits from the 80s, they will still get that, you know, that money. They're still going to get the payday from that nostalgia factor for a lot of people. Totally agree. It is definitely nostalgia for me. But it is. It's, it is, be especially like if you were like an 80s kid like me, like I was born in 1980. I was 10 years old by the end of the decade. But to me, uh, it was a more innocent time. And the music is, it's fun. The, you know, you look at the old videos and you're like, oh my God, he's so hot. And <laughs> it, I mean, listen, they were, they were good looking men. 
Um, they they were good looking men, and uh, hey, you can't help myself. They're you know they're cute, but you know it's definitely nostalgia of a of a different time, um, of a different life that was led. Uh, you know when I if I was to close my eyes and think of the eighties, I just think of like bright colors, neons, wacky, weird shapes. Like it just was definitely a different time. And um, some of the, some of the fashion I hope does not come back. However, I still like spandex on men. (laughs) I still like spandex on men. It's, it's okay. (laughs) I will say I, I think it probably is more just the fact that you were like a kid during the 80s because, I mean, the Cold War was happening. I wouldn't say that was pretty, like, low-key. True. You know, people were worried about nuclear holocaust 24-7, or some people were. So I would say it probably wasn't, like, the most innocent time, but I think for you personally it was, and that's probably... I'm assuming that's what listening to glam and hair metal kind of brings you back to is... Thinking about being a kid before you have to worry about, like, paying your bills and, like, taking care of yourself and being an adult. It was just, like, this fun time where you could just enjoy just existing. Right. Being, just being a kid. I do think, though, that there were a lot of serious issues that were going on. But I just don't remember it being talked about. You know, it, you know your parents didn't sit you down and say there's a cold war um you know there's there's children being kidnapped um you know what i mean like you really didn't you really weren't told about any bad things you just kind of were living your life as a kid and playing outside and having a good time and listening to hair metal because that's what was there that's what saturated the market Yeah, I definitely did not get that as a kid. I mean, I did for a little bit, and then 9-11 happened, and can't turn back from that as a little kid and be like, oh, okay. I I will say, too, um, I think the 80s was definitely well before the kind of 24-hour news cycle where we are now, where we're just oversaturated with every single thing happening all the time. Whether it be on the news, it's on your Facebook feed, on your Instagram feed, Twitter, wherever you're going online. It's just we're so oversaturated now and so overconnected with the internet that I feel like everyone constantly knows every little thing that's going on and happening. Whereas in like the 80s and in the early to mid 90s, that was such less of an issue where you really only knew what was happening if it was like in the newspaper on the nightly news channel and that was pretty much it definitely and you know going back to 9-11 um i was just about to turn 21 years old and it it does shift that from you know my childhood to my teenage years to your childhood and teenage years Uh, definitely, um, I feel, I would, I think that your childhood was a lot darker than my childhood. Yeah. I mean, it is that generational kind of divide between, you know, Gen X and millennials. And even me, I'm, you know, I'm a really young millennial. I'm like on the 
the cusp of being a millennial and Gen Z on like a transitional like couple of years. Mm -hmm. So like I don't remember much of a world before then um, or even before the internet. Like I some of my earliest memories is plopping down at the computer in like the family room as a little kid and playing computer games with my brother. So I definitely think you know, I feel like for a lot of people and a lot of the people that still listen to hair and glam specifically and like go to, you know, live shows, of different bands, it's bringing you back to a simpler time where you weren't constantly bombarded with like all the horrible stuff happening with the in the world. You could just kind of rock out to this fun like song and band that you could dance to that were being outrageous and wild on stage. And you can just kind of enjoy that kind of craziness for a couple hours. Yeah, and, and that's exactly it because even even in the grunge era, there you know, it wasn't as dark of a time as it was when nine eleven hit. We, I mean, definitely as a teenager, you know, you're listening to grunge and you're becoming more aware of the world around you, but you weren't being bombarded with constant negativity. I would say um, one of the life-changing moments for, for me in high school was when Columbine happened, you know, because I, uh, I was a senior in high school, and um, just it, Columbine and then 9-11 just completely, I just feel like all, not all of the innocence, but a lot of the innocence just vanished at that mo at those moments at those two moments in history and yeah so i i do i like i like to go back to the 80s and listen to the music and kind of not have so many worries most of it has nothing to do with politics or really any serious issues so it's just kind of like you know listening to like an old friend yeah i I really think that's the appeal for a lot of people is the fact that glam is that really kind of, and what I said earlier, that consumer friendly kind of um, genre in metal. It's really easy to digest. It's usually about like going out and having a fun time, going to a party, you know, flirting with girls, things like that. You know, things that, you know, it's just fun to put on when you're hanging out with a group of people or if you're tailgating or anything like that. And I think that's why, even if the bands aren't touring anymore, some of these songs have kind of just stuck and they're part of that, like, family-friendly, like, music option. Because I don't know how many times I've been out and about and I'll hear, like, a random, like, again, Twisted Sister song or, um, like, a Def Leppard song or Guns N' Roses song just kind of, like, playing as, like, kind of, like, those background radio stations because so many people know them and it... Some of their songs are so consumer friendly and like family friendly that they just kind of have stuck and you'll just keep hearing them forever. Which is hysterical to me because when that music was out at that time, it was demonized. They, you know, there was like the satanic panic, you know, um, this, this rock and roll is going to um, melt your brain. You know, there were um, politicians that were trying to get rid of uh, hair metal because they just felt it was, you know, satanic or it had to do with sex. They were trying to do away with it. That's where the, um, like on, well, we don't have CDs really anymore, but on the CDs, it said, you know, you must be like 
18 or older to listen. Nobody ever paid attention to that in the 80s and 90s. You just took it and, you know. But um, that was because of the politicians. They didn't want the children to listen to satanic music or to listen about sex. So it was, it was so, it was demonized completely. And now like, it's like, to, to hear like, it's like, oh, it's innocent. And I'm like, that's hysterical. <laughs> I mean, now it's, it's definitely, I would put it in like the dad rock genre. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's something I could see like a stereotypical, like white suburban dad putting on a barbecue playlist. And I find that really kind of funny from where it started to where it is now. Yes. A lot of these bands had to fight to for people to be able to listen to their music. Especially Motley Crue because they had like, um, they did have like satanic symbolism and like parents were just not having it. In the 80s and early 90s, there was like this like whole satanic panic thing that was going on. You know, they didn't want kids playing D&D. They didn't want kids listening to hair metal or like bands like Metallica, things like that. No metal at all. Yeah, it comes from Satan. So and that's funny that you're like, it's, it's dad rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my defense, I really think that glam and hair metal in general are, I would call them like a time capsule genre. Like, if you weren't there and you weren't exposed to it when MTV was coming out and you kind of had that first introduction to it being so successful through, like, MTV and, like, having music videos, I feel like it quickly loses its, like, charm and interest really quickly because there are other bands from that same era or, like, almost immediately after that, I think, are doing stuff that's more applicable to, like, our time now or that people might kind of relate to more because their music... Glam tends to be more of that kind of, again, like, or I would say it has less, like, of, like, something to say and more, less of a stance. And it's more about just being fun and having that kind of, like, fun atmosphere. Yeah. And it was a fun time. I will say, though, that they did make um, headway for bands after them as far as what was being allowed on the radio and on MTV. Oh, for sure. So I will give them that credit because they um, they fought hard not to be demonetized. And I think that's the way it is like in every generation. You know, they make, they make room for what's to come, though it does make me um, kind of sad because I feel like there's not a whole lot of... Um, saturation of rock or metal right now on the radios or what's being put out there but perhaps we will have a renaissance and rock will come back I would say I think it's coming back I don't know if like radio play is a great indicator anymore these days but I will say I don't know how much you listen to kind of um to like a lot of like more of like the alternative like rap scene but there are a lot more um, like young like rappers and kind of like pop singers that are kind of pulling into the more kind of metal, um, more alternative sounds these days. And I think we're going to start seeing more interesting kind of blended genres. And when I heard um, Ghost, who I love Ghost, 
when I heard them play on the radio, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> because I would have never listening to Ghost all these years. I would have never thought they would get any radio play. I disagree. <laughs> really? See, I never thought they would get any radio play. I definitely did. Um, I was a huge Ghost fan for a while. I was not overly impressed with their latest album release. I just, it didn't feel like their previous releases. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that um, a lot of the core members that had been part of the band for so long were gone. And it was studio musicians. Um, It just, it was too ballady for my taste personally. And I just, it didn't have the same quality that I really enjoyed from their previous albums. And in my opinion, I think that um, Tobias Forge is trying to pull a kiss. It's it's very likely. And I've, I have heard a lot of people say the same thing that you said that they didn't like the, um, the more recent album. I did. I thought it was, I thought it was really good. I didn't appreciate you know, what happened with him and the other band members. But I do appreciate that they do have two nameless goulettes. So it is good to see um, some females on the stage, but it it is possible. I will say, um, and us talking about Ghost is definitely kind of, it's kind of off topic, but also not because they do do the insane makeup and like the crazy stage performance. I would say they're definitely, I think, technically like a cult metal because, you know, it's all about Satan and being satanic. But I will say um, an interesting thing about the Goulettes, I went to their first show, their kickoff show for the Pope Star Tour, which is when they debuted the Goulettes. And it was insane. I was at the very first show that they did for that tour in Rochester, New York. It was their kickoff. And... We had been sitting there for a while, like we watched the um, the opener, and then the band came out. And of course, we're expecting to see the normal, you know, the band that everyone's kind of figured out, you know, Alpha, Omega, Earth, Air, everyone we were used to seeing. And then all of a sudden, we see two, like, female presenting ghouls come out with different masks and the sculpted hair, and everyone was losing their minds, like, what is this? And granted, that was before all of the public information about the lawsuit came out. So we were all just so confused. We're like, that's rad, but what's going on? It was it was wild. Absolutely wild. I also went to go see them when they did the uh, Pope Star Tour. And that was the first time I saw the Goulettes. Yeah, that, that whole thing is a mess in itself. Uh, but going back to um, glam metal, speaking of Goulettes, the one thing that always did bother me about the the female hair metal is that they had to look a certain way. They had to be skinny. They had to show off their bodies. I mean, they basically were like the counterparts to the males, but I don't feel like there was that much pressure on the males as there was the females. Lita Ford, who, by the way, has probably the most fantastic legs I've ever seen. But the fact that she had to show her body like that, maybe she did it, maybe she was okay with it. But I know that there were some girl bands that were not okay with it. And they didn't want to show off that much of their body or 
you know, or they were starving themselves to, to be skinny. Um, for example, heart, I do consider them part of the, um, of that hair metal, uh, scene, you know, the, the lead singer, she was told lose weight. You're getting too fat. You, if you're fat, you can't, you can't be popular. So that's upsetting. Sounds about right. You know, and I think it was that way for a lot of these these uh, female led ba- you know led bands where they they had to be at a certain weight, they had to wear certain clothes. Definitely, uh, the the studios had more control of them than they did the guys. Obviously, they had no control of the guys because the guys were completely, you know, strung out, ruining hotel rooms, having sex with everybody. So, you know, it's completely different standards, I would say. I think I would disagree a little bit. And here's why. Because I feel like with the kind of like guy-fronted bands, um, I think the record label still had a pretty decent control of them because a lot of them had the same like clothing stylists. Like a lot of them were highly stylized by people paid for by the record label. Like a lot of them... Um, from the few interviews I've heard from them, um, kind of in retrospect, talking about the 80s when they were into all of this and touring, a lot of them said that they were very heavily stylized by like the record label themselves and people that they hired from the record label. They may not, may not have chosen all of the outfits or like looks that they picked or that they had when they were out touring or out doing stuff and like music videos. And then I know a few of them, and I can't for the life of me remember which bands they were from or like who they were from bands but some of them have even said that the ballads weren't their top choice in songs but it's what sold the albums it's what got them radio play so they still wrote ballads because it was commercially successful for them and it was advantageous for them to do so but it maybe wasn't their favorite part of every album they had to release or record yes um i do know that to be true especially with the ballads I know that um, Slash of Guns N' Roses hated the ballads, Mm -hmm. particularly November Rain, but A, it was what the studio wanted and it was what Axl Rose wanted. So he kind of, I think that's his least favorite song that he ever uh, did with Guns N' Roses and and could possibly uh, be a good reason why they separated although Axl Rose was very very difficult to deal with I have heard that when I saw Guns N' Roses a couple years ago I was nervous because he had Axl Rose is known to be very late or not show up so you know we're sitting there and it was starting to be like oh my god he's not gonna show up because it was, I mean, it just, there was a lot of time that passed, but he ended up showing up and putting on a great show. But he's, I understand he's very, very difficult to deal with. It's kind of like um, a prima donna, as I say. He's also done some very terrible things to his bandmates as well. Like, for example, Rocket Queen. There is some... A uh, very um, salacious moaning in the background. 
the story behind that is that was Steven Adler's girlfriend who was completely high and drunk at the time. And Axel took advantage of her. And that is her moans on the Rocket Queen track, which ruined her life. I I hate that. I absolutely hate it that. It ruined her life. She uh, she uh, had a hard time recovering from that. I guess my question is, is I'm assuming that she did not give her consent for him to use that audio for the song. I would assume. As far as I know, no, she did not. Oh, that's absolutely messed up. Um, maybe later on she did give consent because, I mean, what else is she going to do? I mean... I mean, honestly, I would I would sue a motherfucker over that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would too, but the times were different. The times were very, very different. Where women were silenced, they didn't have a voice. Now they do more have a voice. But it's, I would definitely say there was there was a silent culture for women who were being taken advantage of at that time. Sad but true. Yeah, and I would say for me, that's also one of the reasons why I'm not that into glam is I feel like there's definitely a thread of misogyny kind of throughout the genre, whether the bands intended that or not, or it was a sign of just kind of the culture of the time. But for me, I'm not really interested in listening to a lot of songs where it's just kind of sexualizing women for just just for that sake. That's not really something I personally am into. And so that's part of the reason why I'm not super into kind of glam and hair is for me, that's a lot of the songs I was kind of introduced to and have shown is the more kind of like womanizing songs, which is just not what I'm into. There are a lot of songs that are not um, womanizing but the ones that got the ones that were popular did. I mean, you have Motley Crue, Girls, 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 and you know it's women. Uh, the video is these um, strippers dancing around. In the eighties, though, it was not that it was not that it's right to um, to womanize, but it just was a different time. I don't know if women would, I would say, were more accepting of it, but it just wasn't thought of as this is a bad thing. Now, of course, times are completely different. Um, and, you know, you can see the misogyny of, of it all. Um, because it's part of my childhood, I do have to go, I do have to set aside things because it's still an, it's still an enjoyable genre for me. You know, especially, you know, when they're talking about smoking in the boys' room or you got um, Dio. I have not heard a, like, misogynistic song from Dio. There might be, but I have not. So th there were there were a lot of love songs that they probably didn't mean, but they're, they're really good love songs. And then, of course, you know, in the late 80s and 90s, it got so saturated. I mean, they were just shoving out bands left and right. That's where the, the Slaughter, Mr. Big, those bands, they were just, get them out there, make us money, make us money. Although I do like Slaughter and Mr. Big, I can't help myself. 
but they, you know, they were part of that, you know, let's oversaturate. Yeah. And I, I think that's where kind of the, um, the stereotype that hair metal and glam metal are like the boy bands of metal come from is like those third and fourth gen glam bands that were just, that were essentially that they were put together by record labels put out there because they knew it was commercially successful to do that. And you have to figure, and the 80s was the start of women uh, complaining about sexual harassment on the job. Mm -hmm. Before that, you really didn't hear that so much. So women have come a long way since then. Um, And, you know, definitely have a lot more respect for themselves. You know, if you, like, if you ever... um, watch um there's like a a movie about the groupies of the 80s and they just loved it they loved being around these men they loved having sex with them they had like notches you know on their bed of like how many that they slept with now was was that them not having respect for themselves or was that just them having fun and not caring what anybody thought I think it varies from woman to woman, you know, you know, cause women are sexual too. So. Oh, exactly. So I did have a specific question going back to Guns N' Roses for you. So a lot of people consider Guns N' Roses the genre killer for glam. How do you feel about that? I don't know if I would say that they're the killer, but they definitely were a bridge into something else. Yeah, because from what I've seen and like I've read some interviews from some people um, kind of talking about it, um, Guns N' Roses, I mean, they definitely fit in like the glam and hair metal scene, just sound wise. But what they brought to the table was less of the huge teased hair and the um, insanely skimpy outfits. Like they had the more toned down look and slightly more toned down performance. That kind of became vastly more popular in the 90s with grunge because that's what people were kind of craving at that time because they had an oversaturated market of all of these bands with bleached blonde hair teased up and super tight, you know, spandex and latex pants and barely wearing anything else. So Guns N' Roses kind of brought that more toned down look and performance that I think a lot of people were kind of craving at the time. And that kind of was one of the nails in the coffin for glam, for people wanting something a little bit more um, approachable and less flamboyant. Initially, though, they did have the big teased hair, especially Axel. Oh, for sure. And they did have, like, the makeup. But then they went into something else. They kind of decided that they wanted to be not that, not glam. So they, they, I don't think they're the killer. I think grunge is the killer. But I do think that they were that bridge to grunge to kill glam. Yeah, I think it's a, for the death of glam, I think it was a threefold thing. I think it was, Guns N' Roses, I think, helped. I don't think they were, like, the definitive, they were the reason that, you know, glam ended. They were a bridge because they showed people that you can still have sounds that are similar to these bands, but having it slightly more toned down, which I think... By the 90s, people were kind of, MTV was still big, but they were ready for something different on MTV. They were ready for different kinds of music videos. 
And then you also have grunge, which was vastly different, vastly more toned down, stripped down, which I think is what people were really looking for. And then you have the record labels just oversaturating the market any way they could. Yes. I mean, they were trying, I think perhaps maybe in my opinion that they saw that it was dying. So they were just trying to make as much money as they possibly could out of it. Oh, totally. You know, and also with Guns N' Roses, they had more serious songs. You know, they, if you ever listened to Civil War, which is what probably one of my favorite Guns N' Roses songs, I listened to it today because that's what I feel like is going on. It's, it's a very serious topic. Um, so they were definitely doing more serious music instrumentally. I mean, Slash, oh my God, he's fantastic. Like what an amazing guitarist, you know? So they they had a lot of things going for them at the time that I think helped um, them bridge over and, and you know, get into the, the 90s scene. Um, I think for like Bon Jovi, what helped them is they had an album called Crossroads, I believe 1994. And it was nostalgia, but they also had new songs on the album that were huge hits. Huge. They were like love songs that um, that did very well. And the the videos also changed. They weren't like these, you know, super sexified girls with their hairs teased, you know, it was like more of like what girls were wearing, like flannels and jeans. So they, they changed the look of their music videos too, um, for the bands. And I think that helped too. Some of the, some of the glam, um, hair metal band videos are just silly. And that's kind of also why I love them too, because they're silly. Um, you know, you always had like this sexy girl. Like if you uh, if you watch uh, White Snake videos, you had Tony Katane, who was a super sex kitten, and she's like doing cartwheels on two cars, and you're just like, oh my god, this this woman is amazing. So definitely, the imagery changed along with the music. The imagery became more serious, you know, especially particularly with with um, grunge. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, they their videos were they wanted to say something with the imagery. Yeah, it was I would say more refined, uh, more artistic, and in general their music had more of an actual message to say rather than kind of being music for a background music for like a good time. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like that's what glam was for. Glam was great music to have on while you're hanging out with your friends, while you're tailgating, while you're having a party. It wasn't music to listen to to make you kind of think about things or have any like kind of like strong feelings. It was more about music to put on when you're having a good time or you're hanging out with your significant other, things like that. Yeah, it was definitely um, a different a different time. And, and I'm not saying a better time, but definitely a, a different time. A time that I look back and I'm like, yeah, I, had fun. I, you know, I had fun as a kid. One of those things you just had to be there to get it. Yeah, really. You had to be there to get it. All right. So uh, we are running out of time for this episode, but we'd love to hear your opinion, especially because me and uh, Sam do have uh, polarizing opinions on glam and neither opinion is wrong. It's just that we are different ages 
and you know she's a millennial i'm a generation xer it's and it's kind of interesting how how i perceive something and how she perceives something so please no hate to either one of us because we have a different opinions i think that's what's great about this show and that's why we chose each other so please you know listen you know subscribe to the um, links that we will provide below and uh, as always we are your maidens of metal and mayhem Thanks for listening and stay spooky.